He's been dubbed the Venture Cowboy, not just for his signature shirts, but for his brash and freewheeling way of doing business, along with early bets on Uber and Instagram. Nine years ago, he also wrote a $25,000 check to buy a piece of Twitter, then amassed so many shares he was the biggest outside investor by the time of the IPO. He recently made news by outlining his vision for the future of Twitter, even addressing the possibility that Twitter sells to a bigger company like Google or Facebook. I sat down with Lowercase Capital's billionaire founder Chris Saka just days before Twitter CEO Dick Costolo announced he was stepping down. Chris, thanks so much for being here. It's cool to be here. I hope you don't mind me calling you brash. No, I think that's probably accurate. You just released an 8,500-word missive about Twitter, what Twitter can be. Before we cut to an ad for a Medicare-sponsored scooter, <laughs> what is Twitter's future? Uh, yeah, 8,500 <laughs> words felt like a term paper. But uh, you know, I have been invested in Twitter since the first time anyone could invest in Twitter. I've been a user since uh, 2006. I've just been obsessed. It's a huge part of my business. But there's more than a billion people who've tried it and not stuck around. Twitter needs to be easier and more exciting and less intimidating for all those people. So what's been the reaction from Twitter? Have you heard from Dick? No, I haven't heard from Dick since I posted that. Have you talked to him well, I, don't, I, I mean, just to be clear, I don't talk to Dick all that frequently anyway. I mean, we're pals. but So it's not out of the ordinary for me to not hear from him. I've talked to a bunch of other people at the company. It was a really well-received uh, post that I think done right sets them up for success. Points Wall Street in the direction of this is how you should be evaluating the company. You shouldn't be out there head hunting the CEO. You should instead be focusing on these things. And if they execute on the stuff that I laid out there, then no one will be asking the question about whether DeCasso should be CEO anymore. What should Twitter do? What's the problem and what should Twitter well, do? Well, right now it's it? really scary to go out there and tweet. And when you do, it feels kind of lonely. They need to do a better job of, of making it the kind of place where even if you don't do a lot of work, you're going to find the tweets you want. You can follow the tweets related to the game or the debate and the election, uh, the protest. It's time for the heart. Everyone knows what a heart you is. You want a heart instead of I, a star? I want a heart. I mean, you, you use Periscope. The endless stream of hearts is an amazing feature. The hearts do make you feel good It makes good you feel really good. It makes you feel acknowledged, heard, valued. It's great. Mm -hmm. But favorite, that word is like, is this really one of my favorite posts? And so for most people, they don't do it. Dick Costello was on this show, and he said, Twitter is the very best way to connect to what's happening in your world. And I am very confident that that's what Twitter is, and everyone at the company is very confident that that's what Twitter is. Is that enough for you? It's, so mission statements and taglines, I think, usually leave most people feeling a little empty-handed and directionless. It's a complex product that has to appeal to myriad audiences who use it for many different reasons. And I don't think one single tagline is going to do it. You've been waving the pom-pom for nine years. You've got a room in your house painted aqua. Is that well, true? Well, yeah, we have a Twitter blue room in our house. So OK. Twitter's been very good to me over the years. Why now? Why speak up about this yeah. stuff? Because what I see is I think we have the team that's ready to execute on all this stuff. I think Dick finally now has his squad. Why do this publicly? Why don't you just pick up the phone and call Dick? Why don't you email them? Oh, I have. I think that I wanted to take a shot at telling it externally. An audience that was really, really important for me were the people working at the company, and not just senior management, people who've been there a long time who were just, yes, yes, yes. And now, if the company just starts delivering on it, I think everybody wins. You're not an engineer. You're not a product guy. Why should they listen to you? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. I have a track record. 
uh, that's worked out pretty well. Um, you know, Uber, Instagram, Kickstarter, Optimizely, Docker, Twitter, these are all things that are, um, I would like to think one or two of them might be lucky, but at scale, it's probably not an accident. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I think you just only have to trust your own intuition as a person. I think one of the most interesting challenges in Silicon Valley is that the people who aren't your users don't have any voice. And I think that's one of the challenges that all these companies have to start incorporating. This is going to be a, a company that has the potential to be bigger and more meaningful than a Facebook. Look, if Dick executes on this stuff, then that's the CEO of this company. Have you talked to the founders? I mean, I know you're close to Ev. I haven't talked to Jack recently, but yeah, I actually bumped into Ev on the way to the studio. But I can certainly say many of those things were things that you know, are not necessarily my original ideas at all, but Ev and I have discussed over the years while he was even still working there are things that I think Ev would believe are worth doing. I mean, look, the ideas I shared aren't the five-year future of mm -hmm. Twitter. They're kind of where Twitter should be now. Mm -hmm. They had so much turnover. They had infrastructure that couldn't support rolling new stuff out. So they're just lost years, and so they're playing catch-up. Google buying Twitter. Is that realistic? I think it's really realistic. I mean, I, you know. But speculation of, about this has been going on for years, and it hasn't happened. If Google were to buy Twitter, it would instantly fit and improve the stuff that Google has. This board doesn't have, you know, there's, there's nobody there who's like, we have to be independent forever. There's nobody who owns 50% of the stock. There's nobody who could block a deal like that. So you think Twitter could realistically sell to Google? I think Google would love to buy Twitter. I think Google has never gotten social, personal identity, that real time, that kind of stuff. They haven't nailed any of that. So that said, Zuck would not let Twitter go to Google without putting in a bid. There's just no way. You think Zuck would, would, would Z bid for Zuck Twitter? looks at Twitter and sees so much potential in it still. Remember his old, like, it's a clown car clown. that fell into a gold mine? That has not changed. From people I know are very close to him, and I've never heard this out of his own mouth, but his perception that Twitter is not doing everything they could has not changed. And so he would love the opportunity to own it and to improve some of those things. And then you've got Satch up at Microsoft, who is a user. He's watched it. You know, back when we did the search monetization deals, when Twitter first started selling some of its search data to the search partners, it was Satya who came down from Microsoft in 2009 and negotiated that deal. He was across the table from me and Jess and Dick Oslo uh, when Dick Oslo joined the company. And so those are the three people. I think Alibaba, by the way, might be interested too. You think Facebook, Microsoft, Alibaba all want to buy Twitter? All would buy Twitter. I think all of those companies would benefit strategically. All those companies would be able to explain to their shareholders why they paid a lot of money for it. Uh, and, and it would fit into each of those companies without blowing out or competing with something else that they have there. What about Apple? I don't think Apple cares. I don't think that it's, it's in their bones. I don't think they care enough. And particularly Apple with Tim Cook, I think, goes in a different direction. I don't think they really care as much about the social or human element as some of the stuff they're building. I just want to be really clear about this, though. I don't think Twitter should sell to them. I think there is literally unlimited potential in what Twitter could continue to build to get to a few hundred million more people. And if they do that, the stock isn't trading in the 30s. It's trading in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. That's why I'm not campaigning privately or publicly for it to be sold. If the board stops believing that at any point, I don't see anyone on that board who would block that a sale to somebody who thinks they could do a better job of it. I think sometimes when the founder is still running the company, People just defer to their judgment. I think you're allowed to be weirder and a little more eccentric, and people are just like, oh, that guy, he's into the future. I think because Dick doesn't have the benefit of being the founder, people don't give him that benefit of the doubt by default. So what if the, the things that you've suggested don't happen? If they don't happen, this company is just going to go sideways. So the stock will go sideways. There will be more distraction, people calling for 
management's head. It'll be hard to land the talented people they want to work there. So if these things aren't working, user growth isn't accelerating, revenue isn't accelerating as a result, then they should give the company to somebody who can do better with it. Do you have a preference among those as an investor? No, I don't. I mean, if this company has to sell one of those companies, that's to me, that's a letdown. When um, Facebook tried to acquire Twitter, uh, Jack Evan Biz went down to a meeting you know, with Zuckerberg. And when they came out of the meeting, they called Dick and I for advice. And we happened to be in Hawaii. And there we are on a speakerphone. And we're like trying to listen to the Facebook offer and decide whether or not to take it. We just chewed over the terms. I don't think there was ever any wavering about whether this was going to be a big independent company. Those guys always knew it was going to be huge. And, they are, and they've always been a couple steps ahead of us in how big it would be. Do you want something more here? Do you want to be a board member? No. And they get my help for free CEO? when they want it. No, I don't. Jesus. Uh, I don't want a job job. Like that would be. Uh, no, I, I like what I do for a living. You know, we have over 100 investments uh, right now. Lowercase capital consists of three people. So we're one of the biggest funds in the country in terms of money under management. But there's three of us. We don't have office space. Uh, we, you know, my, my COO works in Healdsburg out of the back of a winery that she runs. My partner is in LA. He just works out of planes, moving from portfolio company to portfolio company. And so uh, we do it all ourselves. I don't even really have an assistant. What is the myth of Chris Saka and what is the reality? I've never followed the step-by-step -step path you're supposed to do to do this. I had no business being a venture investor. Uh, I had no business quitting my job at Google. I'm like, all right, I'm going to strike out on my own. Google is getting pretty big. It felt pretty bureaucratic. I'm not good at like meetings and playing company politics. Um, you know who was was Sundar. We used to do meetings together, and I, I just knew right away this guy's going places. Well, he's he will, obviously done quite well. Yeah, he will basically... be the CEO of Google someday, and and it was just obvious back in the day that he could be that. Um, so, well, well, but, what do you think of how he's leading Google right now? Sundar is an incredible compliment to Larry. I use that as a foil because we would sit in the same meetings. I'm just like, he's, he's brilliant. We both have good ideas, but God, he can actually navigate a big company and I can't. I have sharp elbows. I have strong opinions. I'm impatient in ways that I don't think, uh, you know, I'm more similar to Elon than I think I am to a Sundar. Oh, um, really? In what way? Um, I'm tough to work with. I demand everything to be exactly right. I, I grew up with just, uh, you know, with my parents, excellence was just, kind of expected. It wasn't even demanded. It was just like we would do everything right the first time. At Google, you've, you've been portrayed as this guy who would maybe go to meetings uninvited and get stuff done, but sometimes rub people the wrong way. Like, how, how do you feel about that portrayal? It was accurate. I mean, I, I, so I was protected on high by Eric, Larry, and Sergey for being a guy who got done. Um, that said, it didn't fit cleanly into the hierarchy. I had weird titles, and I totally understand why it rubs some people the wrong way. But I definitely stand by all the stuff I got done. Google's under a lot of pressure right now because the core businesses are suffering. What do you think about the moonshots? Is that what they should be concentrating on right now? Yeah, I do. There's nobody here who would tell you that self-driving cars is a small idea and it's not going to pan out. I mean, that could be worth more than all of Google is today. Stuff they're doing in health could change the world forever. Stuff they're doing in robotics could change everything. I think where they've dropped the ball is on the stuff that's incremental from where they are right now. Um, it's a bummer to see that YouTube isn't more social. The comments there are a disaster. What about Facebook? I have no doubt about Facebook's ability to maintain its relevancy and to continue to reinvent itself. They have used their market cap to go out and buy the coolest stuff. So they, and, and Zuckerberg knows how to execute on that stuff really quickly. I mean, he was there on top of Instagram and he knows how to close that deal. He. Do you think Kevin sold too early? 
Kevin walked away from that deal at the time it was signed with something like $300, $400 million, which is probably worth $600 to $800 million today or more. You tell me if you wouldn't trade everything you have right now for, for between $300 and $800 million. Like, could he have more? It's, I'm sure he could have more, but he could have had zero too. I don't think it's, it's any of our place to question a guy like that when he's got the best of all worlds. He sold the company, made a ton of money, and now he's been left alone to go continue to execute on what he's wanted to do. Kevin Systrom is having an amazing life. That guy's DJing at clubs in Vegas. He's, I've never seen anyone dress better than that guy. He's got his finger on the pulse. He drinks the best bourbon. I was just gonna say. He goes to Fashion Week in Paris and everybody there falls all over him for what, how he's changed the world of fashion. And uh, there's no, I don't feel bad for Kevin Systrom one bit. What about Snapchat? Here to stay or a fad? Snapchat's very real. I, those guys came up to me after a, an event I did once and said, we're big fans, we'd love to sit down. I was like, eh, yeah, I don't really get it. I was like- You passed on Snapchat? I, I didn't pass as much as I didn't follow up, but I was like, is this kind of the, the dick pic thing? I passed on Dropbox, I passed on Airbnb. When I was at Google, I told Eric not to invest in GoPro. Each of these times, I focused so much on the negative case that I missed all of the positive case. Mm -hmm. Airbnb founders, I said, guys, this is really dangerous. I think somebody's gonna get raped or murdered you know, while they're staying at somebody else's house and the blood is gonna be on your hands. I literally said that out loud to those guys who now have a $20 billion company <laughs> on their hands. You didn't pass on Uber. No, I didn't. And you own 4% of the company, is that correct? I own a lot of Uber. I was lucky to be one of the very first in investors. I had deep, deep conviction about what it could be. But and you don't think Uber has used any dirty tactics? I don't. I think they've used aggressive tactics, but I think Travis has been inventive in his tactics. How big do you think Uber can be? That is truly limitless. I mean, I don't think it's worth less than 150 to 200 billion dollars when it goes public. They're nailing the food business right now. That's a whole other business. I mean, people- Taking on FedEx, do you think that's something they would do? Uh, you know, they're delivering packages in Hong Kong right now. There's that cool company, Ship. I did not invest in Ship because I think it's something Uber can and likely will do. I don't own Postmates stock or Instacart stock because I think it's something Uber can and will do. I think Travis's ambition is boundless, but I think his ability to execute on that is completely uh, unlimited. You mentioned the jam tub, your hot tub in Truckee. Travis was the unofficial mayor there. You were very close, but you don't talk anymore. Why not? I think Travis has a personality like mine. I think we both have really strong opinions. If I'm involved in your business, I'm gonna share my opinions with you about how certain aspects of the business are going. They're gonna be really strong opinions, likely in your face. And I think we rub each other, you know, we have a different way of doing it. I think I can uh, rub people the wrong way and it can be pretty mutual. In particular, I wanted to own more Uber stock and so I was, at the time, trying to buy it for more people. Travis didn't like that. And I think that uh, kind of scratched the surface of a little more tension that was between us already. Have you tried to mend the fence or? Yeah, I mean, I think, be Working together professionally for now is kind of the best way for us to get along. Mm -hmm. How can I be helpful to Uber? What are things I can do? Um, that's a good way for us to collaborate for now. What's so, the craziest thing that's happened in the jam tub? The only thing crazy that really happened there is Travis can spend eight to 10 hours in a hot tub. I've never seen a human with that kind of staying power. <laughs> I mean, normal people can't make it that long. He can. What do you think is going on right now in Silicon Valley? We're seeing unicorn valuations. Um, Decacorn. Decacorn. You, you know the culture of secrecy we have here in Silicon Valley where you don't tell people your numbers, you don't tell people your business model, you don't tell people the feature you're gonna launch next. Isn't that I, dangerous? It's really dangerous. The stories of 
founders making tons of money and living lavish lives and investors doing super well have all started to attract more and more attention, more and more posers. And with that attention comes sloppy discipline and a ton of money. And so back, you know, think about the early days of Y Combinator. 12 companies, demo day lasted all day. Everyone ran live code. There were 15 of us in the room investing. We could ask questions, walk up and try it during demo day. And the deals didn't get done that day. We would work on it. Demo day today, you know, there's, I don't know, what is it, 80 companies a class, 450 investors, three minutes, no live code. And those deals, half of them are done before they even present at demo day. I think overall it goes to a desperation on behalf of a lot of investors to just be part of this game. A lot of those companies are raising that probably shouldn't raise. They're probably not a good company. Um, they're taking money away from companies that should probably use that money. Uh, they're taking talent away from companies that could use that talent. They're taking investor and advisor attention away. And so I think there's a lot of waste happening in the Valley right now. Some of these valuations and the accessibility of capital in some of these places is just bananas. It's an amazingly rigged game, the investing game. Where this all comes together is, I don't think the public market's gonna hold up forever. I don't think the global economy is gonna support the market being open. I think by the end of this year, the public market basically closes down uh, for any, anything with quality lower than an Uber, frankly. So what uh, happens when that so happens? What do you mean by that? You're gonna have a bunch of companies sitting around with no exit paths. There's gonna be down rounds. But you think by the end of the year, something's gonna... I think there won't the be the exits. The tide's gonna turn. Yeah, by the end of the year, the, the market seizes up. and so. Um, and then I think you're gonna, there will be some pain out here for the companies themselves. So what happens to all of these unicorns and decacorns? Like how many of these are horses masquerading? I think there are naive investors with no discipline throwing out term sheets at nine figures right now with no diligence. I'll give you an example. Icon investing in Lyft, as publicly stated rationale was, well, if Uber's worth 40 or 50, then Lyft must be worth two. Well, if you really look at this thing, it's not gonna be a two horse race. Lyft doesn't survive. And Travis is never gonna buy it. Lyft goes away. You think Lyft is gone? Lyft doesn't survive this. Uber is a better company with better math, better predictive supply, better brand, lower pickup times, higher quality of service. They'll you are an win. Uber investor. I'm a huge Uber investor, but I would be a bigger Uber investor right now on that thesis alone. I would never buy Lyft shares because I just don't think they're gonna be able to compete. So Icon just made a big mistake. I think he made a big mistake. This is a winner take all game and Travis will take all. Is there gonna be a downturn? Is there gonna be a downturn in is, Silicon Valley? Yeah. Uh, yes, it's, it's kind of inevitable that um, the funds right now that are putting a lot of this money to work here aren't gonna see it all back. Are we in a bubble? Uh, is the bubble gonna pop? There's multiple ways to define that bubble. Yes, so, so or yes? No, yes, so. A lot of these companies are gonna go away. Um, there'll be impacts for real estate and stuff like that. Do I think it's gonna be like the year 2000 when you can't get a U-Haul here because they've all gone one way out of town? No, because I think this really is the epicenter of innovation, but it's a little out of whack right now. What do you think is the biggest problem in Silicon Valley that's not being talked about right now? There's nobody normal left here anymore. So all the actual normal regular people have been priced out. Like the artists can't live here anymore. The musicians can't live here. You don't even meet nurses or you know doctors, frankly, can't afford this city. And that's messed up. And I just think the biggest problem here is computer science programs are so lucrative now that kids don't need to pay money to go to them. They don't need to get jobs, so they've never waited tables. They've never 
parked cars. And so now we've got a generation of software engineers working at these companies who have very little compassion. We have an increasingly limited worldview that's really out of touch with how the rest of the world lives. I'd like to see more people get the hell out of here and be around real people every now and then. We don't have anyone here who represents the voice of the normals, and they're not even our neighbors anymore. Chris Saka, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really great to have you. Right on.